0: raising and managing capital or private investments. It's incredibly complex. You need to market the deal. You need to onboard investors, verify investors, sign documents, set up entities, collect funds, you know, file Form D registration with SEC. There's so many moving pieces. And when you're doing this at scale, it suddenly becomes, let's say, for 40 investors times 10 different things, there's 400 things you need to do. So why this is important is managing that complexity and making it simple, easy, straightforward is a huge jump, and that's where GP Flow comes in. We basically provide the tools to GP fund managers to coordinate all those activities and provide
1: it as a real simple user experience for their investors. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Andy Krebar. Today you're going to learn all about how his company is modernizing the real estate syndication space. He founded a real estate technology company that is focused around helping general partners in real estate syndications streamline their operations and capital raising processes. These tools and technologies were not available in our space when I first got started in the syndication space. So. I'm always excited to dig into new technologies that are being applied to the syndication space, providing better information security, again, streamlining operations, and generally helping the space move forward with technology. You're going to learn a ton about the changing real estate syndication space and what it takes to build a product to help the syndication space grow. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com or click the link in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Now, let's get with Mr. Andy Kreebar. Andy, thank you for joining us today. Let's talk about your new real estate tech company. But before we get into that, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, how you got into the real estate space? For sure, Taylor. And first of all, thanks a lot for having me. I'm Kreeba, and to
0: answer your question, how I first got into this space, started at a very young age. My dad is an architect, and from the ages of probably 5 to 15, I was riding around in his red land cruiser. It must be a 1980s model or something, which is still on the streets, and I see it when I go back to Australia. But he used to take me around to job sites, to you know, his work, show me different buildings and structures and renovations he was involved in. And over those years, he taught me two really important lessons, which is one, real estate's an incredible vehicle for building and compounding wealth. And secondly, it's a really important tree, drive up people's quality of life. And those two lessons really stuck with me. I'm always very passionate, and interested in the industry. I bought my first investment property, which is a apartment in, in Bondi, in Sydney, Australia, in 20, 2012, 2013. And since then I've been acquiring and investing in real estate for the last 15 or so years and have been involved in syndications as well. I really saw this as an incredible path for investors to invest passively with the pros and access Bigger, normally higher quality investments. So with that, launched at GP Flow a couple of years ago. The mission of helping people, helping more people get access to this incredible industry, and helping more GPs and fund managers build and manage and raise more capital.
1: Great. So before we talk about the potential in the market or the hole that you saw in the market, can mm-hmm. you tell us more about GP Flow so our listeners have a picture for what the platform is and the specific need that it addresses. Sure. So
0: listeners that are involved in raising and managing capital for private investments uh, would know it's incredibly complex. You need to market the deal. You need to onboard investors, verify investors, sign documents, set up entities, collect funds, You know, file Form D registration with SEC. Uh, there's so many moving pieces. And when you're doing this at scale, it suddenly becomes, let's say for 40 investors times 10 different things. There's 400 things you need to do. So why this is important is managing that complexity and making it simple, easy, straightforward is a huge challenge. And that's where GP Flow comes in. We basically provide the tools to GP fund managers to coordinate all those activities and provide it as a real simple user experience for their investors. And that ultimately aligns to our mission, which is how do we get more investors into this industry? A big belief of ours is, you know, the classical investment of 60, 40 stocks and bonds is dying. And even the government wants more people from Main Street involved in these private assets So, really focus on how do we give GPs and fund managers the tool to do this more effectively and manage all that complexity in a
1: simple, easy-to-use platform. Great. So back in my day when I started in this industry, if you will, this wasn't available in the mid-20-teens. These portals existed, but they were only really accessible to what you might consider institutional groups that have a significantly greater budget for Mm -hmm. their software. And I'm very glad to see that services like yours have popped up for the Main Street syndicator, if you will, the Main Street investor to help streamline the industry and provide technology and, and security to the space. But let's talk a bit about why you started this particular business and the hole that you saw in the market specifically sure so i would say coming back
0: to that analogy you know this stuff didn't exist 10 years 10 years ago a lot of the tools to be able to manage that complexity and all the moving pieces also didn't exist an example of this is you know, wire transfers very effective but if we think you know 10 20 30 years in the future there won't be any wire transfers moving around there'll be different sorts of technology move this money from point a to point b And there's many players and vendors in market that are solving that specific problem. We work with an ACH provider for both connecting bank accounts, to Plaid, two and a half thousand banks across the US, single click for investors or investment managers to connect their bank accounts to the investor portal. And secondly, for ACH fulfillment, there's a number of different software providers which we can integrate with move money from point A to point B. Why I mention that is 10 years ago, this stuff didn't exist. So the opportunity for technology to bundle all these disparate services and build that full you know, investor experience if you couldn't do it so all these new tools and technology come in line with its payments e-signatures, verification stuff like that that's the opportunity for these investor portals and other you know, management systems to bundle all that stuff and provide an even better service on top of those things so i think you've seen a growth in this space both from the fact as you mentioned more people getting involved more people raising capital and, and investing it in private investments but also there's changes in technology, which makes this stuff far more accessible and you know, easier to do than it ever was. As far as the opportunity we saw, it was really about delivering that entire experience. I'd used, and my co brand and I had used many different software platforms before, and we didn't think they hit the mark on what was possible for making it like a Robin Hood-like experience. So we think about the next generation of investors coming to space. That's the technology it sort of grew up with. You know, really intuitive, really simple to use. You know mobile apps, all that sort of stuff, that didn't exist in this space. And we said, how do we deliver like that sort of user experience and investor experience into this private investments world? And that's where we see that huge opportunity in making it you know, much more enjoyable and, and easy to use uh, in these
1: investment markets. Great. So that shift away from wires into ACH integrations, in my opinion, it, it's huge because I know a few folks personally who in years past, before these technologies were available and integrated, who had serious cybersecurity data breaches that led to passive investors wiring money to a fraudulent account, and then that money is lost. Now, fortunately, that's never happened to me or any deal that I've been involved with, but I know people who had those types of cybersecurity attacks happen. So we, in my opinion, should not discount the advantage of moving away from the wire transfer system into ACHs. But my question there is like, why did that take so long? I mean, ACHs aren't new, but the industry was still running off of wires and wire instructions emailed to investors, sometimes in plain text. And that was in the 20 teens and into the late 20 teens. It's just incredible that it took this long for someone like you to come along and provide this technology to the space. Why is that? I'm no expert on the, the payment rails and uh, infrastructure in the, any financial markets.
0: You know, I've used them. I know some things about them, but I, I've heard from a number of people in the industry that a lot of the financial infrastructure, let's say that's moving money around uh, the US, a lot of it can be duct tape and hair wire behind the scenes, but it works. And you've got big institutions like J.P. or what have you that are moving billions of dollars on this stuff. And I think in their view, I imagine in their view, it's like, it works sure it's not ideal but we've got bigger problems to focus on so i don't think there's been an inertia around it around how do we change the system and i imagine when a system get this big like tweaking one thing causes different ripple effects we have to change a lot of things so i don't think it's going to be a, a overnight death of wire transfers i think they're going to be with us sometimes in the same way that people still sell, send checks around which it you know, amazes me uh, but i think there's just. Too much inertia in this industry around the way things used to be done, but it's going to change, or I a slow process. But the more we can get private investment managers onto stuff that helps them do it faster, you know, better, more efficiently, we think that'll be great for the industry and that overarching mission of getting
1: more people involved in this space. So, a big part of what you're talking about here is reporting to investors. You mentioned a Robinhood-like experience, so let's dig into that and talk about. What does that really mean? I mean, are you developing like an app that's, you know, as, as slick as Robinhood, if you will? I think they've also probably looked a bit into blockchain and other technologies that haven't quite been adopted into the real estate space yet. So what's your vision there in the light of a, the comment about a Robinhood-like experience?
0: So I, was, I pulled that analogy of, of Robinhood because I think it's a, a brand people know in our world. and are aware of. And- yeah, I've got different views about Robinhood. I'm sure many of your listeners do. But they changed the game as far as making you know, free stock trading. And they got people involved and there's many things they didn't do well and there's many things they did incredibly well. Um, but they made stock investing more accessible, more enjoyable, easier to use. And that brought a whole new market into, the, into that world of doing this stuff. So for more than the usability and accessibility of the technology, consumer apps develop far faster than B2B apps. But when people use consumer apps, They expect those sorts of experiences. And often it's a bit of a shock when they jump onto a B2B app experience that, wow, this looks nothing like the stuff I use every day on my... And that's where the overarching view, which is how do we get the B2B stuff looking and feeling and being as easily usable as the stuff people use every day?
1: So let's talk about the mistakes that you see syndicators making as they raise capital because given your position with this technology company, I'm sure you're seeing a lot of inefficiencies, again, mistakes and and issues that you see folks making that maybe you can target with technology. So what mistakes are people making? i a segmented two groups we work with. The first one is like first time
0: capital raises. Like, how do I get my first deal done? And the second group is like, I've done a handful of deals. How do I scale this? And it, each one of those groups solving different problems. The first group of how do I get my first deal done is solving a an education, which is no one comes out of the womb knowing this stuff. You have to learn about raising capital, marketing deals, investor verification, regulation, uh, diligence, all this other stuff. And for them, it's really around bundling these pieces together you know, from A to Z and getting that first deal done, which is, which will be the hardest deal. But once you know how to do it, number two, number three, number four are a lot easier. So I'd say the biggest mistake for that group is probably just around systems and infrastructure. There's platforms like GP flow and there's many other great ones out there that solve different, different obstacles to get over, but these vendors exist because of that complexity going A to Z and we're lucky enough to work with lots of first-timers that we know that path and we can sort of help guide you down that, those different steps and make it smoother, you know, efficient and more involved with best practice, those sorts of things. So the biggest obstacle I'd say and challenge for those first-timers is really Leveraging like the existing industry and players that can help you do that. The second group of, I've you know, done a handful of deals. I want to scale. It's really around investor acquisition. And I think there's been a gap in the space around investor management. A lot of these portals, you know, servers, a good looking dashboard for investors to, to log in and see what they hold. But that actually help GPs or fund managers scale their investor acquisition. And moving out of that gap from friends and family round to I can attract and onboard strangers into my investment. And find those 50k 100k checks that's a really big opportunity so we're helping a lot more of our our customers on that piece which is not just how do you be investor portal but how do you deliver incredible investor experiences that turns those investors into referrals and to repeat investors and helps grow that community and the biggest obstacle there is just figuring out how to do marketing at scale i think a lot of sponsors struggle with i've got a website no one comes here how do i scale it i think that's a big opportunity which is okay well
1: it's already working. You've done your
0: handful of deals. You've got 50 investors. Let's turn that into 100, 200,
1: 400, et cetera. So for me and my business, I've found that the, for me, and this is again, my business, I found that the highest leverage, most productive activity that I can engage in is exactly what we're doing right now. This podcast, two thirds of my investors originally found me by listening to this podcast and the rest are friends and family people I know personally. But you know, more broadly, as you help folks scale their syndication businesses, capital raising businesses, what are you finding are those highest leverage activities that folks can take their website that almost nobody comes to and turn that into, like you said, folks that are willing to invest 50, $100,000 or more in their deals? What are those highest leverage activities they can engage in? There's lots of channels you can go down this path. You know, you talk
0: about podcasts, which also awesome to here that's working for you, Taylor, you go up, talk about written content, you could talk about guides, YouTube, social. I think the most important thing is find what doesn't feel like work to you. And if you haven't listened to a few of your podcasts, Taylor, what you do, it seems like you, you enjoy it, it's just fantastic. And it probably doesn't feel like work. It's probably like, I can keep doing this and growing that organically. And for some people, they might find that really challenging with podcasts, but they can ke- create incredible videos or they you happy know, building a social media following. So what I've seen work for our customers and people in the industry will speak to is like pick one or two channels. You know, don't try and ball the ocean and doing eight things because you can very build repeatability and traction and just doing one thing really well. So I'd say focus is key. What we've seen most successful profit to this segment of the market where we are now it has been social. There's been huge news flows. And one thing I was speaking to a sponsor this morning was it worked really well for them. In early 2023, there was some tough media that came out from Wall Street Journal about small, smaller investors losing their money in private real estate syndications. And they went on the front foot and got in front of that narrative of speaking to investors about how they're different. Here's what Wall Street's saying. Here's what, you know, what we're doing differently. Here's our view on it. But they did that all through social media and email campaigns. And they built a huge amount of trust and following people sharing that stuff and looking to them as the the thought leader on this space. So I'd say social is a really key avenue, but ultimately, you know, whatever works for, for you. How Have you found podcasts? Is that your main channel or do you have other ones you're, you're looking to as well?
1: For me, it's been, this podcast has been huge for me and I, I go on other podcasts, of course, that's kind of part of being a podcaster. But like you said, it doesn't feel like work. It is a lot mm-hmm. of fun. I get to connect with folks like you. I mean, you're in Vancouver right now and we otherwise probably never would have met if not for my hosting a podcast and getting to share your message with the yeah. audience. So and it is a lot of fun, great learning and listening opportunity for me. And I hope the audience is learning something here as well. Of course, that's the whole point. What do you find works well for
0: your different podcasts? You find some perform really well and, and some you know, don't, don't get the right amount of listens. Like, What's been the, the secret sauce of the podcasting game for you?
1: That's an interesting question. It's very difficult to predict what is going to be the Best received podcast, if okay. you will. It's hard to suss out the differences, but I found that for our audience tuning in from time to time, I will do episodes that are just me talking about a lesson that I learned recently, or something happening in the news, or what have you, related to real estate investing. And okay. folks, it's an opportunity for for me to share what I'm learning, of course, and I think. The audience, at least the feedback that I'm getting, is that folks find it an interesting way to connect with me and my thoughts about something that's happening in the world today or just generally learn more about my values, beliefs, who I am, why I'm in real estate investing. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's not a comfortable thing to do because I'm actually, you may or may not believe this, you or the folks listening... I'm actually a super introverted guy. I don't really look to go out and speak on stage or speak on platforms. It's incredibly uncomfortable for me. But again, I found that this mode of connecting with people doesn't feel like work. Yeah. Exactly. The, yeah.
0: I'm sure so, your audience loves the content. It keeps coming back.
1: I certainly hope so. That's why we're here. Yeah. But you're the guest here. I'm asking the question, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so before we started recording. We were talking about long-term visions that society has, that we all have in general. And I'd like to turn that to your long-term vision for GP flow. And you can define long-term however you want. In a tech space, long-term seems to be about six months. But in this light, I'm thinking maybe the five to 10-year timeframe. What does that look like for you, assuming you know things go to plan?
0: I'll start at the the highest level, which is what's our our mission, which is to get more people involved into private real estate markets, private markets in general. You know, we work with predominantly real estate investment managers today, but there's a handful of art managers, VC funds, tax lien firms that use our software. But coming back to that mission, which is how do we make this private markets more accessible? It's really about specialization. I think there's been a huge push in recent years for, okay, so... Raising and managing capital was incredibly complex. And a lot of them split it between sort of two key angles, which is there'll be one guy or girl that's focused on doing the deals, underwriting, those sorts of things. And there'll be a second guy or girl or team that's focused on raising capital, managing investors, those sorts of things. And they're two sort of different avenues. And when we think about how do we solve how do we solve problems for that firm to help them make it more accessible, you know, you don't want to solve both because you end up solving for neither. So when we think about, well, is it Underwriting deals as a market intelligence, it, that's not us. And, and we can't help you with that. Where you want to solve real pain points is that second angle, which is you know, raising and managing capital for investors. How do we do that exceptionally well and make it super easy and make it more accessible for everybody to get involved? So that's the, the problem we're solving that the vision we want to create. Where I think it's going, I think technology is moving so quickly. I'm still amazed around all these new releases from Microsoft and, and ChatGPT. We have some of this live in our product. And I was speaking to someone actually last week about complexity in distribution waterfalls. And you know, a lot of the times the investor portals can get these like 95% there. But when there's a complicated operating agreement, like multiple splits and multiple catch-ups and all that stuff, often the software today just can't cut it. It's like, Sorry, we go to that manually in a spreadsheet and upload it. You know, I think two years, maybe five years from now, I don't think anyone's running distributions. I think it's just give the operating agreement and the, the cash number, to some form of AI or in the investor portal, and it's doing all of it for you and reconciling lots sort of stuff. So I think the future is very bright on this, but I think there's going to be more specialization, the administrative stuff, and get taken care of into more of the strategic stuff. And we'll be using machines and technology to do this stuff you know, bigger, faster, and better than you know, the world ever could before this stuff.
1: Yeah, AI is the big thing today. Mm-hmm. So a thought occurs that one of the topics of the day, if you will, more broadly, is deplatforming everybody's heard about right now, but I want to throw a hypothetical situation at you. So let's say you're some point down the line, an operator on your platform is charged with running a Ponzi scheme, doing something bad boy that we would consider. And how would you handle that if you found out that you were notified that XYZ operator is now being charged by the SEC for running a Ponzi scheme. What's your, I, I'm hesitant to say responsibility there because I'm not sure that you necessarily have responsibility because you're not getting into the operations of their investment. But what would you do if you found that out? So there's a, a legal answer here and a practical answer. And
0: the legal answer is you know, in our master services agreement, these are the T's and C's and you know, these are your responsibilities and those sorts of things, which you know, ensure protections to both parties. And it's also helpful for the GPO. I managed to ensure that we're not doing illegal stuff and, you know, they're using our software to do the same thing. So a lot of that stuff legally is covered in master services agreements and stuff like that. You know, practically, you know, I think we have a responsibility, of course, to make sure that our customers operating legally, you know, operating in their investors' best interests and all those sorts of things. And we've actively turned away business before where we didn't have the best gut feel of we're not fully confident that it's going to be in that realm where we really believe and are aligned with what this investment manager is doing. So practically, I'd say you know we have a responsibility. It's a joint, it's a joint partnership, and we'll always guide and write best practices, and what we can do. Thankfully, we haven't had that situation. We hope we never do. Yeah, that's probably the way I think about it. How would you think about it?
1: That's a tough question. I mean, like you said, the legal aspect of your terms and conditions and so on mm-hmm. would should theoretically, you know, lay that out. But the ethical side of things where if something doesn't smell right on the front end, I think you probably do have some you know, a l- a degree of responsibility to turn that business away yeah. ahead of time. So it's, I think it's a tough, it's a tough situation, but you want to do everything you can on the front end to hopefully protect yourself on the back end. For sure. Another angle i would probably add to it as well is probably less on the legal side. on the
0: like, like success side, we'll meet you know, a person with, with a PowerPoint and a drink. I want to build a investor manager business. I'm like, fantastic. We believe in you. You can do it. These are all the steps. And they're like, you know, can I just get access to the software and start raising money? It's like one day, but first like, got to have the right legal representation. Make sure you understand how to raise money legally and compliantly, and you know, how you're thinking about investors, all these sorts of stuff. A lot of time you can sort of guide people away from being a customer because we know they won't be successful with that software unless they've got those sorts of things in place. So whether they're, you know, operating legally is also another element, which is like, can they operate successfully? Do they have the right game plan and strategy and mindset and ability to do this? Because if if a customer uses our platform and they're not successful, like it's on us too. So we all have to make sure we're always investing in the right customers that we can truly believe are going to be successful in this business and we can help them grow and scale. Nice. Love that.
1: Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Andy, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show are you ready? Let's do it. Great. First one, what is your number one book recommendation?
0: I revisited a, a book about a week ago by Patrick Bet David called Next Five Moves or something like that. Now, I'm a fan of Pat. You know, I watched some of the videos. I'm a raving fan, but he mentioned this book. I went and got it, read it. It really helped me think about the future around, you know, it's not just what's next, it's what's next to next to next. And you've got a bunch of helpful exercises in there around Thinking multiple steps ahead. And a really good analogy, which hit me in a different way, was around the chess grandmaster. Yeah, you know, they're thinking 10, 20, 30 moves in the future. And being able to strategize your life, your business, even in your character development, is really important to think multiple steps ahead. So i recommend that book.
1: Nice. Good call. PBD podcast if folks want to learn more about Patrick Bet David. Question number two: who or what inspires you?
0: It's a very exciting answer, but I'll give it a time. I've been thinking a lot about it recently. My dad arrived to Australia when he was one years old. He him and his family, he was a, his only child, left Europe just after World War II, moved to Australia, didn't speak the language and all that sort of things, and worked really hard. And it got us lots of opportunities, which we enjoyed as kids. I mean, i one of four kids. Now we've got two girls of ourselves. And actually going through this parenting relationship with my kids, you get to relive your own childhood and realize that, wow, someone did all this for me. And I'm in my mid-30s, working hard. I you know, love my family and those sorts of things, but it's tough. You know, it's tough to manage work and life and all sorts of things, and, and everyone struggles. And I look back at the sacrifices my dad made and his upbringing and those sorts of things. So uh, he definitely inspires me every day as I grow older and raise a family around the opportunities that you know, he gave up and the way he managed his family to, uh, to build our future. It's been you know, incredibly appreciative and, and heartwarming.
1: Great. I love that. Question number three. Think about Andy at 80 years old. What advice would 80-year-old Andy give to Andy of today? So I actually do this exercise, and it's called the Solomon Paradox. Have you heard of this? Alex Hormozzi. I was just listening to him last night, actually. Yes, exactly where I got it from. I'll, I'll
0: keep it quick, but basically Alex Hormozzi tells this tale about the King Solomon Paradox, which was a, a gentleman that gave great advice to others, but was extremely bad at living a, his own life well. You know, He wasn't faithful. He liked to party. All this, all this thing wrong with his your life, but great giving advice to others. People come across the lands to speak to him. And what it is meant to take away is we're very bad at listening to advice of ourselves, unless we can detach from the situation and be like, you know, what would Andy say to Andy? And often that sort of separation can help you give much better advice and see this situation much more clearly. So I followed the Hermosey playbook. I've got a Google doc where I speak to old Drew, who's an 80-year-old version of myself. And the advice he gives me regularly is just relax. You know, you're healthy. You're married to the girl of your dreams. You've got two lovely children. Don't worry about this stuff. When you're my age, you're not going to even remember these sorts of and tribulations. Just keep putting your best foot forward and keep enjoying you know, being young and, and being
1: healthy and free. I love that. I think that's a great perspective and understanding what your values will be when you're of that age and what you'll really be looking back on and valuing and I want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing this knowledge teaching us about your company if folks want to get in touch or learn more about gpflow where can they find you for sure so
0: gpflow.com will have all the information about our platform what we do you can learn more about me as an individual at com. and we also have started investing recently in youtube so we're publishing a bunch of content on the stuff we're seeing in the industry about marketing deals raising capital and delivering great investor experiences and uh, let's see you there
1: Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one.